This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business. Hi, I'm Ken Pilot, C-level executive, or at least I was uh, for a number of years working with companies such as Gap, American Eagle, Ralph Lauren, J. Crew, uh, and even ABC Carpet and Home. So a lot of experience around the retail landscape. And um, now I'm, I'm mired deep in retail technology. I love technology. But what I love about fashion technology is it's really the purest combination of art and science. You really can't advance one without the other. And technology is kind of nowhere in our business without great product. From New York City, you're listening to Fashion Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the fashion industry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Fashion Is Your Business. I'm one of your hosts, Mark Rako, and uh, the other but far more important host, Pavan Ball from Bella the Culture. <laughs> you are just gross. showering me in compliments today, Mark. Eh, Thank eh, you. It, it all comes back. It's all karma. <laughs> it's all karma. So um, I do expect a one day a Lamborghini will just show up in front of my home, and you'll just say, hey, Mark, all those compliments, here's the payoff. Uh, well, just, I mean, if if you're if you're projecting that sort of success for me, man, dude, I'm I'm all with it, man. You'll get two Lambos coming your way. <laughs> this is all being recorded, everybody. So <laughs> yeah. anyway, good to see you, bud. And also join us, uh, Ken Pilot, of course. Hey, Ken, how are you? Hey, you know, just what's in it for me, guys? I mean, you're trading Lamborghinis and success. Uh, I get to talk to you guys. I'm well, thanks. Well, 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 Puppet and I have done hundreds of shows together. This this is only like your second time on the show, right? So I was like, you know, I you got to earn it, man. Yeah, he's still passenger side. <laughs> he could he could call, he could come with us for a smoothie run. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So, uh, in all seriousness, welcome to the show. It's great to see you again. Um, I love to lead off with this question. So, you know, in in the introduction in this show. Uh, you you mentioned, of course, that you're a former C-level executive with some big brands we all know, uh, but you're also, you know, a, an investor, an operating partner, and you've been most recently investing and working with a number of tech platforms as an operating partner. And I guess the question I really have is, for you, if you distill it all down, if this is the beginning point right now and you're looking forward at the vista of the future for yourself, what is your mission right now? Um, I'd like a Lamborghini. Yep, two. Great. That's the show, everybody. So thanks for joining us. <laughs> no, I, I think that the mission right now is to really help the companies with whom I work support the goals, uh, the customer experience of brands that we connect with. And there's a lot of opportunity out there right now. Those who make it through the pandemic are going to be looking to new tools and new ways to do old things. And if they don't change, then I think they're going to face many of the challenges that were already present before the pandemic. It's uh, For those who come through this, it is a chance for 2.0. Before, it seemed like it was somewhat, do I need to change now? Do I need new technology now? The question is, which new technology do I get now? Not if, it's it's what. Ken, you've been, um, you know, I guess in the same, or we've been interacting with you and bumping into you since we first recorded with you at Decoded Fashion uh, as a part of an interview we did with, uh, with the Predict Spring team. Um, that's a number of years ago. I want to say five years back now at this point. 
Um, since then, uh, you're a familiar face. Uh, we see you at a lot of, you know, gatherings of sort. And, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm wondering kind of what encouraged you to get initially get into so deep into retail tech uh, to the point where you wanted to not only, uh, you know, join into a VC capacity and now into, um, you know, uh, operating partner and, and spending so much bandwidth uh, of your time with, where, where most folks would be like, Hey, I had a pretty, pretty great run at a, at a fruitful career in retail. Um, I think I might just kind of invest and lay back. Yeah, I, you know, number one, I think probably what I enjoyed most about my time in retail is working with people, working with teams, uh, trying to inspire others. And I find that working with a lot of the platforms that I currently work with, I get a chance to do the same. So it's working with a founder uh, who I really like, who has a platform, I think mm -hmm. they can make a difference, and a team that I can help influence, um, train, and teach. So that, to me, is really the payback. Are you the old guy in the room? Is that the perspective you're bringing? You know, it's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it didn't take, it took us, what, about 10 minutes to hit on that. Yeah, I am the older, <laughs> I am one of the older guys in the room. I generally, if if you can add up the two youngest people and their ages are still below mine, I may not may not work with the company. All right, fair enough. Okay, I got. Yeah, it. <laughs> I, I I am. I guess I am almost the gray beard. Um, no, but uh, and the reason why I mentioned that is not to be. Uh, I mean, of course, jokingly, but it, it's really now it's it's bringing those 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 experience years into the equation where it's you know I, I think that a lot of um, Technology companies that have younger, traditionally younger teams, um, you know, they struggle with the approach, right? Um, how to, like what what it takes to get a pilot going. Um, ah, that's that's also your last name. I literally just put that together. Very good. Wow. Um, however, you're, you're did not swift. Did, did not mean for that to be. Um, but no, no, I mean, but that, that's the reality. They don't know what it takes to, to get piloted, to get tested, to, uh, to, to grab attention of folks that are not traditionally used to uh, being kind of shaken out of their seat a little bit. I think the, the big challenge that many of these companies have is their ability to express clearly what they do. Uh, and that, that really just stems from the fact that they are so mm. in the weeds, whether it's in the technology or the platform. They can't help but to see it from the inside out. Yeah. And, and what I add or hope to add and why I think I make them more successful is I see it from the outside in. I see everything through my filter of how does it help from the point of improving the customer experience back to mm -hmm. the technology versus looking at it from the technology out to the customer experience. And as I'm sure you can appreciate, when you go in and pitch another CEO or senior levels of a team, not all are familiar with technology to the way that the engineers are. API means nothing. Uh, Geofencing, what's that? You know, so you can throw mm -hmm. around a lot of tech talk and you can lose your audience at hello. That'll guarantee that you will not be able to move the platform forward. Are you also attending meetings with these folks? Like, are you are you using your position and experience to to be in those rooms and those sales rooms to to kind of connect the I guess the relatability? Yeah, I, I think you know the difference of serving a company as an advisor versus what I call as an operating partner. Mm -hmm. you know, in addition to getting involved with the strategy around product 
Um, is it meaningful? Is it not meaningful? How would it be used? Who would use it? I help the tech platforms understand brands better. So for example, if we're meeting with the Gap and we have a clienteling platform, is clienteling really important to the Gap? It is much more relevant for any company that's under the LVMH umbrella, but for Gap sure. or a Uniqlo, not so much. A lot of times you'll get tech platforms that think their tech works for everybody and it doesn't. So it's helping them understand where the tech really applies. And then, yeah, it, it's going to the meeting. It's, mm -hmm. it's teeing it up. It's making sure that I'm present because at the end of the day, you know, I'm investing in these companies and I'm also putting my reputation on the line. So I want to make sure that if it's important and I can get a CEO of a brand or a retailer to show up, this has to be important enough for me to be on the call as well. So I'm definitely on the initial call, if not on the follow on calls as well. Yeah, it makes sense. Now, um, I'm kind of wondering, and I want to get, you know, the way that I view you and, you know, through the, a lot of the thought leadership that you put out on LinkedIn and other places is, uh, you know, you, you're, you're acutely aware of kind of the ebbs and flows of the retail tech kind of um, uh, arena. So what I mean by that is that you, you see trends um, and, and you speak on trends quite a bit. And so I wanted to go through uh, some of the things that I think are particularly interesting going forward. Um, you know, I know you're uh, very, I guess, um, interested in the, the customer uh, side. So tech that really touches the consumer, as you mentioned. So I want to go through a laundry list, maybe like 10 different categories and see what your thoughts are on it as a category. And if you have any reference, if you could reference specific innovations that you think might be particularly strong to aid retailers uh, in building these things out. So the first one is, uh, you know, curbside or like uh, buy online and pick up in store. Uh, right now, critically important. I think it mm -hmm. gives, obviously it gives customers the safest way to shop. Um, I think that what will be most important in making this technology successful is a retailer's ability to accurately know what their inventory levels are. Uh, and by that, I mean, most retailers don't have the most accurate view of their inventory. So they build um, a they build a way to cushion their inventory um, so that, for example, if they have less than two units of a SKU, they'll say it's out of stock. Mm -hmm. And if they have more, it's in stock. So Potentially, a retailer may have the goods in stock, may not have the confidence in their inventory accuracy to recognize it, and will lose opportunity around buy online, pick up in store. Because you just don't want to send us to the store, have us show up and say, gee, we're sorry, but we thought we had it. We don't. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, core to that, I think what will help make buy online, pick up in store more exacting for retailers is um, RFID. If your inventory is on RFID, it'll be the most exacting, uh, far more accurate. Generally, inventory accuracy is off by anywhere from 25 to 30 percent. And that's what a retailer will find when they take their physical inventory. It's not shortage, but it's just your skew discrepancy. So you might have 1 percent shortage, but of the 99 out of 100 units that you find, 25 might be in a different size or color. Mm hmm. So it's just a, yeah, it's incorrect tagging or just misplacing the items itself, whatever it might be. 
a plethora of things, or just yeah. even counted incorrectly because it's a manual, yeah. it's a manual stock count. So I think buy online pickup and store, curbside pickup, all very important. Uh, how it gets communicated to the customer, very important. How do I know you have it? Uh, but I think it's it's yeah, table stakes. Now, what do you think about um, what if you go into kind of another COVID-related acceleration, accelerated technology would be like live stream shopping? Uh, is it for now? Is it for later? Depending on, you know, there's a, there are a couple things out there. Um, I I think live stream could be very cool. You, you saw Ralph Lauren just, just came now, up, yeah. right? They just launched a virtual shopping. Um, it, it really depends on how well it works versus how um how would i say this which is how much of a pr play it is or i know um tanger had announced that they were offering facetime shopping in their outlets yeah, yeah. i think all of these things are are interesting solutions do they translate to sales i mean in, in china it's i think it, like last year it was 2 billion in sales through live stream shopping yeah it, it, um, again it's how and china is so far ahead of where we are yeah. how they interact you mean with technology my yeah. point is it's just a matter of how good is the te- how good is your technology to generate mm. live stream shopping and I, I think that that's it's a great opportunity if you have the right platform okay moving on uh, digital fashion um, you know, the use of avatars and, you know, the merging of brand and gaming and things of that, that arena. Digital fashion avatars. I mean, I, I guess where I go is I think more around gamification, if you will, or how would I gamify the shopping experience? I don't necessarily see it as part of avatars, but I can see it, for example, if I were in a mall and I was on the mall app, you know, what could a mall what could a mall app do that could gamify the experience? For example, after I spend 45 minutes in the mall, do I win something like a free soda? Or if I walk mm-hmm. a mile in the mall, can I get you know 10% off at Nike or something like that? So I think there is a way to gamify the experience. I know, don't know if that's what you're asking. Well, no, I mean, you did take it to another category. Now we don't have to cover off on rewards because I do think the gamification of rewards is super interesting. Um, but no, what I was really talking through, and I, I think it was, uh, Mark, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was Karina Nobbs that we recently had on. Basically, it's uh, it, digital fashion is uh, anywhere from like digital influencers. It could be um, the use of, uh, you know, CGI so that, you know, you can see the flow and the look and the runway of a garment without actually producing it. You get pre-sale on it and then, you know, drive those types of conversions. And it could be also attributed to things like, hey, I'm going to get an exclusive pair of sneakers for my gamer avatar uh, from Nike for 20 bucks, uh, but I don't even own the product. I just have it on my, the sneakers of my, you know, in my game. So, so I, I know that's the, again, that's another thing pretty, pretty huge in the art space right now. It's all being done through blockchain and creating specific IDs. Very big in, very big in Japan. Mm-hmm. But what, does it have to be an actual gamification though? Here's my question, because part of what works for gamification is feeling uh, that you're a part of the experience. You're embedded in what's happening. And I'm wondering if that can be accomplished as well with actual just storytelling. Okay, so to use a crude, not super sophisticated uh, example, you know, having some sort of episodic, compelling story or a story using a celebrity that you have to actually go to different 
locations. Let's say you're in a physical retail yeah, environment. Po- Poke- you actually, Pokemon, Pokemon Go. Po- Pokemon Go, but there's other ways to do it that are yeah. not just AR. You can do it with audio. You can do sure. it with scannable things. You can do but, it whatever it Mark, is. What did, what did you guys just launch with uh, Mouth Media on the Windows? Uh, Story uh, Dot. So so I'll give, give an example. So at, at different stores, there's a different scannable QR code or flow code and you get another episode of that story. So the only way you can get the entire story is to go through, is to go, go through. And if you, uh, you will be missing an integral part of the mystery or the romantic comedy or the, or the, whatever it is. Um, it can even be, you can even build something where you know, you're in Dina DeLuca and you have, uh, uh, it's a recipe, but you have to go to these different parts of the store to get all of the parts of the recipe from, you know, from Emerald. You know, and, uh, and my point, my point, I don't know if that works or not, but my point, my point is, Puppet didn't like that. So, but but my, my point is the, the, I guess my question is, is it about gamification? Is it about rewards or is it about simply having the opportunity to be involved? How do we engage the cut? What does it take to engage the customer? I think that's what we're asking. And there are a number of ways we can do it, either serving up CGI images, um, gamifying the windows or bringing, bringing product to life in the store or online. I mean, going back to, I think one of the big opportunities for retailers now, certainly over the next three or four months, is the use of windows. Think about it. People Mm -hmm. aren't going to want to go into stores, not only your own windows, but if you look around, there are a ton of vacant storefronts as well. I did something with Burrow, a company I invested in about four years ago. They, They are the Casper mattress of sofas. Before we opened up our first store, I worked with landlords and, and found six locations where we could just take the storefront windows and put a great story in the storefront windows for you know a tenth of the rent, a thirtieth of the rent. And all we did was take the windows. Landlord was still able to show the space. We just did something compelling in the window. Fast forward to today, um, what can you put in the window? It could be as simple as scan this QR code will take you to Nike and you get 20% off. Wow, I'll do that. And everybody yeah. knows how to use a QR code right now because of COVID. So what was what was technology that wasn't really being used is now one that's easily understood and used. So all of these things are, are, are gamifiers or lever- ways we can leverage technology, create engagement that I think the pandemic has really helped push or create opportunities but the, the big opportunity is how do we engage with the customer either at the storefront or in the store? And or when they're at home, frankly, when they're online, what can we do to present the store, store experience and maybe make it a virtual shopping experience, much like Ralph is trying to do now with what they're doing online. I'd like you to join me in supporting an extraordinary mission to make arts education real for underserved kids nationwide and help keep the creative connection alive. Look, arts are not a luxury. From the time that kids develop motor skills, they rely on the arts to learn how to communicate. Arts are a great collaborative experience and they teach us how to critically think and empathize and understand the human condition. So Mouth Media is proud to partner with AHA Broadway and support their efforts to help bring these vital services back to schools. With every dollar AHA Broadway raises, 
They will directly serve the kids of New York and beyond. Please visit ahabroadway.org slash 1000 kids. Again, that's ahabroadway.org slash 1000 kids. And please contribute anything you can to their crowdfunding effort. Moving right along here, um, AI guided customer service. So, you know, instant answers, suggestions, um, you know, reaching things in inventory and and helping with like the simple database, like styled answered questions. Well, you know, it's funny. We both know Lily AI pretty well, and that's a a fabulous way to enhance search online. And what it does is it really understands the emotional needs of the shopper. And based on her needs, whether she's looking to emphasize a specific fit to de-emphasize a part of her body, or she's going to a special engagement or doing something that's, or she likes types of design that show whether it's bling or are flashy. What this what, what, what Lily does is it really helps provide the product based on her emotional needs. So it's not just simple search. It's pushing product to her through AI, which helps the shopping process. Is, is this a tech, uh, generally um, taking your, your executive seat uh, or retailer seat, um, is this for now or later? Uh, I think this is definitely for now because as more and more time is spent online and more big retailers, and I like it where there's a big catalog. And so far they've signed up, they have ThreadUp is on their platform. I can't think of a bigger, mm-hmm. a bigger SKU platform than that. But as retailers add to their catalog, you want to be able to push to the customer what she is looking for quicker and have her yeah. surface opportunities that are right for her versus having her go through the challenges of search. It is definitely the right time. It's the best way to connect the customer to the product when catalogs are are big and broad. Contactless checkout. Critically important. I mean, right now, so many more customers are going along the, you know, the Android Pay, Apple Pay. Um, I think you can go even further. I think there's a way uh, in store that you can just start scanning product and adding it to your cart and then just sending that order um, to the brand and have them deliver it to you. You might not even want to touch the product in the store. I mean, imagine, mm. imagine going down a grocery aisle and literally just taking out your phone and just scanning the product you like, either through barcode or through NFC, just tapping it, and then just producing the order and handing it to someone as you're walking out and have them deliver it three hours later. Yeah, what I like about that is that it, you know, it 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 doesn't remove the um, the pageantry or the experience of going in person. Well, that's what's key, and I think if you were to compare, I, I would believe this to be true, even though I don't have any facts to substantiate it. Jeez, I feel like Trump. We're not, we're not, we're not here for facts, Ken. We're here for banter and talk. It doesn't talk. matter. Look at right. I, <laughs> Trump still thinks uh, he's going to be our next president. So anyway, uh, but <laughs> I, I think if you were to look at the average order value of a customer that physically goes through a Whole Foods versus what they buy online, got to be much higher in the store. Why? Yeah. 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 Did, didn't know I liked that popcorn, wasn't shopping for that popcorn. The, dis- the discovery. 
yeah. discovery, the imp- impulse is not, can't be as great when you're shopping online and it's through your cross and endless aisle down. It just, you know, you're looking for things. I need mustard. I need ketchup. I need this or that. You go to categories, you hunt and peck. Here you're, there's exploration. So in the store, if you have the ability to actually be contactless, and, and maybe this is a bit of a variation of just contactless checkout, this is contactless shopping. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it can open up a whole new world. You know, e- even uh, again, it's not only contactless, but I think customers may not really want to be helped by an associate unless you can't physically find your size. So in a perfect world, I go into a store, I take out the common denominator, which is my my smartphone, and I can basically get all the information from product availability, sale pricing, uh, recommendations, uh, product attributes by just scanning the product. And I can make a decision now if it's, is it, and also know if it's in stock. Yeah. You know, forget about the floor space you could save also. I mean, thinking about the the fact that retail locations don't have to be retail locations. They can be showrooms, right? That essentially are activated to, to your point where they're not carrying inventory. Uh, it's contactless shopping. Um, I think, what was it? Nordstrom Go did something similar to that? Well, they, they have, right. Nordstrom, Nordstrom has a small space, but there's, I think there's a lot of things that can be done with contactless shopping. You know, mm-hmm. again, here, another use case, if you took someone like a Skechers and um, Skechers, you know, basically when you have footwear, all your inventory is in the back and it's inventory intensive. You got to carry a whole size run and multiple units per size. But let's say they wanted to add something like kids shoes to a store. Now, if you think about kids shoes, every parent knows the size of their kid's shoe and probably no kid is even trying on the shoe because that's almost as bad an experience as having your kid try on a pair of jeans. It's tough. So a parent is basically going to buy the shoe. They know the size will leave the store. You could show an entire assortment of kids' shoes on a column without owning any inventory in the store, allow the parent to scan it, buy it online, and leave. I mean... Does does anyone want to try on five pairs of kids' shoes in store? Not only that, but how often you go to an outlet experience when a parent is just looking... What do you have in a size five in the store for my kid? Now, what sale? The sales associate goes, "I'll help you." Not here. Not here. Not here. That is. Yeah. That's why people don't go to stores. That's painful, right? Yeah. I would rather just go. I'd filter. How do I make my store experience a three-dimensional e-commerce experience? I think that's the holy grail, where it's just as easy. I'm in the web. I'm shopping. The, there's always an associate and an answer there. And when I'm done, I'm gone. You know, one of the things I'm thinking about these days is what uh, are cities going to do with all this excess commercial space, right? With work from home becoming, well, not becoming, it, it will be a stay model. Um, so what happens when you have millions and millions of extra floor space in a city like New York? Um, and just do you think retailers are going to go to a more controlled and distributed uh, distribution models? I, I think there's still a really good pl- – listen, if you're a retailer today and you're doing well, there's probably no better time than to grab a few more locations because you can negotiate lease terms that are whatever you want them to be, frankly. And if you can't get it from the landlord in the middle of the block, the mm-hmm. guy at the end of the block might do it. But certainly across the street, you might find it. So there's a lot of opportunity out there to expand your footprint. I think what you do with your footprint, I I, I see retailers continuing to grow 
brick and mortar. I do think it's an important part of the equation, but I think you can do a lot more with smaller spaces as you look to combine smart inventory with smart technology. Well, is this is this the uh, the solution for last mile that nobody could crack the nut of? Like, you know, if you have a ton of these smaller locations and using them alongside, you know, a seamless style, like the, you know, the food app seamless uh, style delivery service or, you know, um, that that can solve a lot is, is kind of how I see that. Yeah, I, I, I think so. It's, you know, you look at stores, they just don't need to be quite as big. You know, it's it's really the way Amazon uses its data. Like if you look at the four-star stores that they have, I mean, they know what the people in that yeah. two-mile, three-mile ring want. That's what's in the store. But when you're mm-hmm. there, if you want to buy something else, you probably just jump on the app. So I think you could pretty much figure out what's needed as you know your data uh, by city, by area, carry some of those core products in the store, and then really offer your own version of the endless aisle in the store and allow customers to, to buy what might not be the most popular styles in that shopping ring. You know, a lot of the things that we talked about already, whether it be curbside or, you know, endless mile, you know, uh, contactless, or even now with distributed um, models is is really inventory control. Do you have uh, in mind some some solutions that can help uh, that that really push the needle in terms of figuring out, um, you know, the merchandising side of stuff, or not merchandising side of stuff, the the inventory side of stuff, the, the supply well, I, chain. You know, probably go back to RFID. I think that that's probably yeah. the the best way to reduce your inventory is to carry as little as possible, but know exactly what it is. So who does mm-hmm. it well? Lululemon RFID. Ralph Lauren is on RFID. Most of the inventory in Macy's is on RFID. Um, I think Nordstrom's maybe. It's, there are a number of players out there that are using RFID. But it really, because of the inventory accuracy, you don't have to build an algorithm that says never carry less than two or never acknowledge less than two as being in stock. Because if I'm at one, I know I own it yeah, if yeah. it's RFID. But do you go straight to like an Avery Denison for something like this, or are there other uh, carriers and hardware solutions that you would uh, that you would also suggest looking into? You know, there's uh, one company that I invested in is Radar. Now they do the hardware. Oh, yeah. They do the hardware, and what Radar that's does, uh, Sp- Spencer, yeah, that's Spencer. Yep, what they do, they they do the hardware, and the hardware is tag agnostic. So Avery Denison, they produce the tags. We can read any tag. So you have tag producers that put the chip in the tag, and then you have the hardware. The delta here is the hardware that Radar produces is a continual read versus having to go around the store physically and scanning the inventory to take the read. So it's kind of a push versus a pull. I love that because at any point in time, when inventory leaves the floor, a store manager could get a notification that says, hey, your last pair of 3231 jeans that was on the selling floor just left, but you have two more in the stock room. Oh, that's a bestseller. I should go bring that out. So I love that way of controlling your inventory. It makes it highly accurate. And it also tells your team when you need to replenish. You know, I think uh, I think it was Paco Underhill that did a study a few years back, maybe when I was at Gap, so more than a few years back. But we realized that the number one version that customers leave their stores, they can't find their size. And about 31% of those that left the store couldn't find their size. Now, the real question is, was the size in the store just not on the floor? So if you could take that in half mm-hmm. or even down to 
20% and capture that sales. That's a nice comp run. What, what about digital signage then to that point, right? Like uh, where the racks itself might tell you what's in stock uh, in the back of store. Well, you, you have the ability to communicate that generally within an app. So um, mm-hmm. if you, I believe if you're on Macy's app, it'll tell you stores that are on apps can tell you or stores that are on like take, for example, Predict Spring. They have a modern point of sale solution. We can tell you what's in the store. So if you're working with an associate who has the mobile phone, which is also a mobile checkout, she can check immediately for you. Do I have it in the store? And, you know, and that's it's not the newest technology. It's out there. I mean, even Barney's had something like that when you're in the shoe department. Ken, is there any thinking here that goes beyond inventory control and goes into expediting the shopper's experience. Uh, and, and I don't know if this is a, a useful or productive thinking or not, but imagine that uh, my app as a consumer is tied into the store's inventory control in some non-invasive way. And I know that I'm typically a size uh, uh whatever x x waist and inseam pants and i'm looking for pants and this can tell me and map me to what areas of the store currently have my size actually in there so i don't waste time in a section that actually doesn't have my size not buying getting frustrated using up my available time that i have in the store and instead of going right to where i actually could buy something number one now on the one hand, that may reduce friction for me and make me feel good about my experience. On the other hand, that may reduce my browsing in the store, which may not be good for other reasons. On the other hand, it may reduce traffic in condensed areas of the store where only so many people can really enter. Um, so so, so has there been some thinking about about consumers having access to that inventory control directly through the app that can map their experience? Yeah. And in fact, the Home Depot um, has that. And I think Lowe's may also. So listen, you go into Home Depot and you're looking for uh, a, a three-eighths inch screw. They can actually tell you what shelf bin row it's in. Mm-hmm. So it'll lead yeah. you right there. To your next question, Mark, I think by the fact that I get that screw right away, and I don't get screwed by shopping around the store. Uh-huh. Uh, yep. that, sorry, Pop, I took that you out of your book. You got piloted right yeah, to the store. I know, I know, right. right, I flew right there. But getting it right away, that to me then, okay, the biggest project I've done in like three minutes, now I got plenty of time to browse. So I would almost look at it from the inverse. Like I got what I came for, and now I can just, you know, kill 10 minutes and head up the light bulb aisle. Sure. Yeah, it's the same reason, I guess. But – I, I guess to to Mark's point, so it's why grocery stores keep the milk in the back, right? Is because they want those eyes wandering the aisles as they they pass the whole store. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting conundrum on that side. I mean, we we touched on AR uh, as as it relates to I guess uh, gamification things like that. But is are you particularly excited about any aspects of AR? If if so, uh, what use cases have you seen that? Um, are worth worthwhile in terms of investing now? I think we're probably AR has found the best home has been in the home space. And, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's it's Wayfair that's using it well, even Macy's using it well. Well, well is an understatement on Wayfair. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's great. I mean, you can really see how does the product look in my room? 
So mm-hmm. they're, they're killing it. Um, so there's definitely a way to use it that it's really meaningful. So home, I love it for the home space. You know, if uh, I know there's some attempts have been made in jewelry to see how a watch might look on my wrist or listen, you know, I, Warby Parker's using it well to see how the glasses look. I think they've done a terrific job. So it's out there. It's just figuring how do I connect the customer to that technology? What do they need to do to get it on their phone? And how good does it work? How well does it work? Yeah, and I guess I'll, I'll, I'll round it up with the last one, which is essentially like not really a technology category, more so a strategy. But you know, before COVID hit, we were really looking at experiential shopping as you know the uh the priority how do you engage and connect with your customer and build a relationship versus just kind of merchandising and peddling them stuff and i'm wondering you know now that you know we're going here in the us at least it, it seems uh, it's you know a, another kind of uh, period in which retailers maybe have some depressed um foot traffic and you know would you still right now be investing in uh, creating, uh, I guess, experiences, shopping experiences in the physical space, in the physical arena? I mean, you know, look at Restoration Hardware. They've probably done the best job creating an environment for their customer to shop in. I would say Ralph Lauren on the apparel side creates a whole, a movie you're walking into Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think you'll see any of these brands take anything away from that experience. You know, the more that you can do to excite the customer, to energize the customer when they're in the store, the better the experience and hopefully the higher the purchase. So I, I yeah. think that the experience will continue to be important. I think the way that we, and we discussed this earlier, the way you bring technology in to even further that experience is very important simply because it can put the customer um, in contact with product they may not find in the store. You really don't want a customer leaving the store and hearing, hey, you can just shop our website. We have it online. How easily can the associate put that online product in the customer's cart along with the in-store purchase? Can, Mm -hmm. Can they do it in one transaction? And that's one thing that I love. And we've talked about this, Pav, I love about Predict Spring. With its point of sale platform, we can combine online and inline in one purchase and give credit to the associate. Big challenge you have today in retail, retail is still very siloed. You still have e-commerce teams and you have store teams. And who gets credit for the sale? The, the associate. It, it's, it's a big problem. You, know, you might want to look at them and say, hey, I'll tell you who gets credit. Your company gets credit and you all stay employed. Okay, that's my yeah. that's my cynical answer. Much in that's that's from the top down, and that really is the right answer because who wins? The customer wins. I don't really care if the store wins or e-commerce wins, but if I purchase, I won. I like you. You're the brand. You figure out who gets credit for it. So retailers can't get tied up in that. It's a win for the customer. And that's what you have to do. So the sooner brands could create these common goals. And figure out that it just the only important thing is putting product in the customer's hand, they will win. Yeah, you know, and 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 to further that a bit, you know, I think about queuing softwares and you know how we saw them kind of pop up a little bit, but uh, you know, I think the adoption of it should now be you know really looked at. Um, and then also reservation software. So how can you, um, you know, use 
kind of inspiration from the restaurant industry and see how they're, you know, building reservations and kind of go to the store and put my name down and they'll text me when I can, when it's my turn to take a shop around and things of that nature. Or, you know, for the luxury side is, of course, booking appointments, which has already seen adoption, but that was luxury, right? Now we're kind of having that waterfall down into more mass adoption. Bro, there's another level to that, Pavin, also, and Ken, is is how can I engage that customer during, say, that waiting time? So it's 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 keeping me notified or keeping me connected, but what are they doing with me during that time? You know, can a restaurant, as using your example, can they provide me information about the, you know, inspiration from the chef during that time? Can they water my mouth? Can they, uh, if it's an Italian restaurant, they, can they provide me uh, uh, tourism video or audio from Italy while, to get me in the mood while I'm waiting those 20 minutes? Um, can they, uh, can they send, can it get me shopping for Italian themed stuff during that time? Um, I'm not, pro- I'm not proselytizing. Maybe I'm more asking, is there validity to, you know, using that time or has that become too concentrated an engagement? I, I, I think that's probably, to me, that's one of those things that happens in the seam, so to speak. I don't know if it's again, relative to some of the other things that we spoke about is I, I like the idea of how do we localize every store? I'm working with a company called Radius 8, and what they do is they can put a a geofence or what I like to call a shopping ring around the store that's maybe five miles wide that when I go online and I uh, I look at my favorite brand, I see what's happening in the store near me. Okay, so what? I might be able to make an appointment, and it could pop up right on my home screen. So how do I tie that web traffic to my local store, take a page out of making a reservation, and making it easy for the customer. I mean, today, yeah. if, if you look, if you look at the store That's locator, store yeah, locator is antiquated, right? And you go to the store locator, some will say, put in your zip code, you'll find the store. But what is there about the local store that you might want to let those know who are within a five or 10 mile ring and only those would see it. Yeah. it. It could be, it could be a new store opening. It could even be like, Hey, we're hiring. We're looking for a store manager or we need part-time workers from one to five Monday through Friday. That message doesn't need to be seen web-wide. It just needs to be seen within a five or 10-mile ring. Or um, we're having a party uh, or a trunk show. Or we're doing a drop in this store only. Wow, there's a drop in that store only. It's a store only. I'm going to go there. So I love the way that Radius 8 is tying the online experience to the relevant store experience. How, how do they communicate that? Do you, do you already need to be... Um you know, uh, do you need to have a native app? So say Kith is using Radius 8 and they're doing a drop. Yeah. It's yeah. actually great. It's actually web-based. It's not even app-based. So we're, okay. we're able to detect, detect through your IP address where mm-hmm. you are. And then we throw, we can actually have a pop-up right on the landing page to show you what's happening at Kith or what's happening at that store near you. It can be on the landing page or, or not, wherever the retailer decides. But it's a very easy, light implementation have we have we gotten to a stage of collaboration on this? So to your point, if I know that there are you know a hundred people that try to get into a twenty seater restaurant uh, over the last forty minutes, I know there's a lot of people roaming around with nothing to do. So to Mark's point, how can I now take advantage of those folks kind of you know twiddling their thumbs and inspire them with 
uh, some sort of experience that could eat up maybe 20, 30 minutes of their time, as well as get some new eyes on what I'm, what I'm peddling. You mean something nearby? Yeah. You know, it wasn't, yeah. that was kind of what, uh, what Squarespace was all about that, right? But you had to be on the platform. Yeah. So I, I don't, I think what you're asking is if you know that I'm physically in one place, yeah. how can you tell me what's happening nearby? Well, I mean, well, one of two things. So is there the ability for something like a Radius 8 to say, okay, have a partnership between the ice cream store uh, and the, the restaurant and a retailer? And the, reta- the you know, if the journey starts at the restaurant and they're waiting for a table, then the retailer could swoop in and say, hey, um, you know, uh, if you're if you're looking to spend the next 30 minutes, we have this great art display that, you know, we have going on right now on our walls. And then afterwards, uh, you know, the, the dessert shop or whatever it is, I don't know, uh, is is also pinging them an hour and a half after the, they sit down and saying, you know, uh, since you, you know, you, enjoy, you enjoyed your dinner there, we're actually doing a promo collaboration and you get this special flavor for free. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, well, I, with Radius 8, it's when you're on the website. So you're, yeah. really, you're talking more about a push notification that would be consistent with being on an app. So some, I mean, maybe you're, maybe you're starting something new here, Bob. I'll have to talk to you no, about no, that. No, no. <laughs> or or maybe it. it's new because it really shouldn't ha- uh, be a thing, but I don't know. <laughs> Just, uh, I, 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 would, I would say that from a cons- customer um, experience, I'm not sure if that's one of those cool uh, or, you know, or again, scary situations with, with tech and data. The kind of thing where map me, if you see me sitting in any one space for more than 30 minutes, more than likely I'm either getting a haircut or I'm shopping. What's near me? Why should I go there? True. And, you know, there's a push. Note. If, if, you, if you want to be mapped, you know, yes, I want to know what's happening whenever I come to a resting moment for more than 30 minutes. Tell me yeah, where, yeah. where I should shop next. Yeah, I think everything flips on a script if, if we get to a point where we're getting um, paid for our data usage, right? So if our personal data is being shared and is commoditized by brands, then how do we, we as consumers share in that revenue stream? So Brittany Kaiser, who is famous from you know Cambridge Analytica days and her uh, her documentary or Netflix's documentary, The Great Hack, you know, she's working on a, you know, uh, her her main message right now is own your data, right? So are we going to get to that point? And a lot of data uh, advocates or pri- data a- privacy advocates are, are, are really pushing towards a future where we own it. Well, the other thing too is, is, you know, using, let's go back to that restaurant example we talked about, you know, if you want to consume this content, which we're sending to you because we know you have this 20 minute wait, we're sending you 20 minutes worth of content. If you digest it, you'll get $5 off your meal. Uh, I mean, there's got to be a way to connect, digest the meal or the content. I'm, I'm not sure which, well, you know, one thing at a time can one thing at a time. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, um, all right, well, this seems like a perfect time to take a quick break. And when we come back, it's going to be, uh, all about Ken and, and nothing else. Not that this hasn't been, but even more so right after this. Every business has at least one big pivotal moment. The moment when you say, okay, we're at this turning point, so then what? I'm Lahari Neil Peretti, founder of LN Accounting Advisor. I hope you'll join me each week on my podcast, Then What? As we talk with successful business leaders who push past their business's biggest 
then what moments, and succeed in an even bigger way because of effective leadership and solid business practices. It's inspiring and deeply useful information for any entrepreneur. Subscribe to Then What on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you find the best podcasts. time for questions off the grid with fashion is your business all right ken this is the part of the show where we get personal uh and uh and talk to you uh as a human uh it's a human human uh you are uh uh going to be the victim of off the grid questions where we ask questions a little off the grid a little more personal in nature we uh are both uh chomping at the bit uh to ask a question uh i'll be honest with you it's probably likely that puppin and i still don't know what we're going to ask until we do the order that we ask them is determined by a spin of our uh famous wheel of grid destiny i feel it's famous now puppin uh, we've had people uh, ask us where it is when we've been at conferences, and so uh, uh, I'm going to submit it now. And, and they have we'll... no idea that we record in studio with the prices right, so it's perfect. Uh, you would have no idea. Spin in the wheel, and the first question is from Puvin. <laughs> Obviously. Uh, well, you saw the wheel. It landed, yeah, so, so. I, I, yeah, it doesn't lie. The wheel doesn't lie. Ken, I'm, I'm wondering um, how your career trajectory makes sense to those that you grew up around. So whether that be your family or close friends, um, does it make sense? Would it make sense to them when you have conversation like, yep, this makes sense. Ken's doing this because these were cues. Um and personality traits that were kind of streamlined in, in his childhood and his upbringing. Well, it, it makes sense to me whether or not it makes a whole lot of sense to anyone else is debatable. Um, sure. I, I, I guess the, the only way you get an answer to that question is how often do family and friends say, Kent, what, what, what do you do? Yeah. Um, so I think once I kind of explain what I do, it might make sense because it's kind of entrepreneurial. Uh, there's a leadership factor. There's a retail factor. Were, were you always, were you the lemonade kid? Were you selling things on the street? Were you? Yes, I was, I was doing. Give me, give me, give me a few of your, uh, your entrepreneurial childhood journeys. Oh, I got a couple. So shovel drive it driveways like a madman. How much was the going rate in your neighborhood when you were shoveling driveways? And I'll compare it to mine and Mark will compare it to his. He has extensive shoveling experience yeah, i could you, i could you, pretty much get, get 20 bucks out of a driveway <laughs> i know <laughs> i could get 20 bucks out of a driveway uh yeah i got yeah 20 was was for me as well okay we're about the same right. then i i went into a period where i was um stringing tennis rackets because i was a tennis oh. player so i used to string tennis rackets so they're all they're still done by hand today but i i was you're doing a that. serious tennis player yeah I, I played i played in college i i, I did that for a while i I, I taught tennis. I ran a tennis camp. So that was my, uh, that was oh, my, wow. my, my pre-career. Um, okay. In high, in college, uh, it, still in high school, um, I was, I love photography. I still do today. And um, I worked in a photography store developing all the black and white film and it was all done by hand. So I developed the roles, I do the prints and I, I bang those out. So, and I, you know, get wasted on all the chemicals I sniffed while I was 
in the back room there. So I did As that. Every good habit starts. That's right. Um, it, and it was legal then. So then when I when I went to college, probably the biggest money maker was scalping tickets. Um, I realized that if students didn't go to the games, I could get their tickets. And then I would go to the opposing team's tailgate and sell the tickets at less than the gate price. What what, what school did you go to? Uh, Colgate. Ah, got it. I didn't realize football was a, was a, was a, it's a big football town. Oh yeah. Colgate's, a, Colgate's had some major, Marv mm-hmm. Hubbard, big, big football players came out of Colgate. I also and don't division, follow NCAA. Yeah, Division One, et cetera. So, so that was, you know, that was enough to to put uh, to put some coin in my pocket. And then I had a business where I don't know if you've ever heard of the brand Boast, B O A S T. It's um, it looks like a it looks like a pot leaf on the polo shirt, okay. but it's actually a Japanese maple leaf. But that's only because it has one less one less finger, so to speak. So. Um, I had Colgate embroidered over the leaf and I sold those out of my room and it was great, great rev, great rev flow on that one. So those were my, those were my uh, money making entrepreneurial experiences before I left college, taught tennis, and then finally went through Macy's training program and became an adult. Thank you for sharing that, man. Appreciate it. Very nice. Okay. I'm going to, uh, uh, by the way, I'll tell you, uh, getting back to the shoveling thing. I, I used to, uh, be in the back of a pickup truck, uh, with a salt, uh, a manual salter taking bags of salt and pouring them into the back. And, and as it ran out, I poured another bag by the end of the run around a shopping plaza. I was literally coated in salt from head to toe. That was, uh, that was some, some good hard work back then, but you know, we made our 700 bucks. So, uh, okay. Another spin of the wheel. Why not? And of course it is me. So with your name being pilot and all the jokes about it and the puns and all that stuff, uh, are you an actual licensed pilot? And if <laughs> not, why? I'm, I don't mean that as a joke. I'm asking. If no, <laughs> no. No, I'm not. And it's, uh, you know, the, the, the puns and I can't tell you how many flight attendants think that they're so clever by asking me yep. if it's full. First, I want to know if that my real name. I said, no, I, I onboarded with a, you know, the, the fake ID. Um, and then are you really are you a pilot, too? And I'm like, no. And then they're sort of crestfallen and that conversation ends. Yeah, but, okay, um, okay. you know, yeah, I'm not a pilot. Would have okay, been good. Okay. Okay, so 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 that was a little bit of a, a prologue to my question. The question is, is. What is a, an ability that you have that, frankly, there's probably very few people in the world that know this. It's not Googleable, most likely, but uh, but people would be surprised you actually are able to do this. I'm a, a serial gardener. Ah, tell me everything. I am. <laughs> I am, and actually, my my friends would probably know because they they will have me come over to their house and ask for suggestions. So I love um, I love landscaping. Uh, gardening, planting, uh, outdoor design, in, interior design as well. But I, I enjoy landscaping a lot. Do you have a lot of pl- okay landscaping specifically? You know, do you yeah. have a lot of plants indoors as well? No, those I kill. Okay, they Got they, they, they require they require watering. <laughs> mother, I, I, mother Nature isn't your co-pilot right. on that yeah. one. Oh, oh come on, what co-pilot? What? Yeah, I had that as a nickname. I had co-pilot, okay. conscious, Seattle. All these nicknames going Ma- up. Maverick? No, I didn't Maverick. have Maverick. Oh, never Maverick, no, 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 actually. No. 
<laughs> spruce goose no that's probably the one because that's gardening so you know um spruce goose. <laughs> uh by the way i will tell you i admire someone that's good at gardening so much because um funnily enough um i used to work with my brother hence the uh the winter uh shoveling and snow plowing uh in his landscaping firm for about a year and a half as his co-pilot for lack of a better way of putting it and uh, i have a black thumb I cannot keep plants alive to save my soul. And um, luckily well, my save, wife. To save their soul, I guess. To save, yeah, to save anything. Um, so I really, it's like, I, I don't know if I was allowed to touch the plants. I could dig the ditches and, you know, spread the mulch because it was already dead. But, you know, um, <laughs> but anyway, I admire that so much. That's, that's really nice. Ken, uh, how can people who want to connect with you and, potentially collaborate partner or or learn from you follow you what have you how, how can they do that uh, um, my email address is on linkedin okay so ken pilot easy enough to find on linkedin or ken pilot at mac.com oh i was gonna make sure they were industrious enough to go to linkedin and search for your your email but easily found great all right. Well, Ken, thank you so much for this just masterclass of, of insight and information and a, a wonderful chance to explore. Thank you so much. Great to see you again and continued uh, success as you fulfill that mission we talked about. So uh, that is it for this episode of Fashion is Your Business. Uh, we're just so delighted you've all joined us. Thank you. Uh, until next time for Pub and Ball. All right. Shake it easy. I'm Mark Rako. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye. This has been Fashion Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2020. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.